Trade Bites, the podcast about trade policy. Hello and welcome once again to Trade Bites, the podcast series by the UK Trade Policy Observatory at the University of Sussex and hosted by me, Chris Horseman, Deputy Editor of the Trade Policy News Service, Borderlex. Trade Bites is the podcast series that boldly goes where quite a few other people have gone before on the topic of UK trade policy, only we do it a whole lot better. And in today's podcast, our 30-minute mission is to make sense of an issue that is affecting just about everyone on the planet at present. Just why is it that we seem to have lost the ability to guarantee that the goods we need will be in the place that we want them when we need them? Supply chain issues crashed onto the front pages in the UK this year when petrol stations started running out of fuel. But that was just one aspect of a wider problem. A surge in demand for consumer goods has led to soaring shipping costs, with ships queuing up to get into container ports, and mounting concerns as to whether even Santa will be able to get his presents to us in time for Christmas. But we're also facing shortages of personnel. Goods can't get from one place to another if there's no one who can drive the lorry or if there is no one who is qualified to sign the necessary certificates for the goods on the back of the truck. The pandemic undoubtedly has a lot to answer for. But as always in trade policy discussions, the extent to which Brexit is exacerbating, underlying or even causing the problems in the UK is a hot topic of debate. Now, to unpack the economic and policy issues involved, it's my great pleasure to introduce a panel of experts with a wide range of different viewpoints on this multifaceted topic. I'm joined by Dr. Sam Roscoe, Reader in Operations and Supply Chain Management at the University of Sussex and a Fellow of the UK Trade Policy Observatory. I'm joined too by Dr. Peter Holmes, a seasoned trade policy analyst who is also a Fellow of the UK Trade Policy Observatory. And it's my great pleasure to welcome Harry Holmes, Features Editor at The Grocer, the preeminent news service for the UK food retail sector. Gentlemen, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us today. Sam Roscoe, In a nutshell, why have supply chains been so disrupted over the past year or so? What do you see as being the main contributing factors? Well, I would argue, Chris, that supply chains have been disrupted for quite a bit longer than a year. The media has told us that we're in the middle of a supply chain crisis. That supply chain crisis has been building pretty much since 2016, since the pro-Brexit vote in the UK. We had four years of uncertainty for UK businesses on exactly how the future trading relationship between the EU and the UK would turn out. And then in the lead up at the end of 2020, a lot of UK businesses still didn't know whether we were going to have a no deal Brexit. Um, And what ended up happening in that last six months of 2020 is, is a lot of companies began to build inventory. They started bringing in extra stock, extra goods, in particular from the Far East. And we began to see a lot of backlogs at the container ports, in particular at Felixstowe. So we had a lot of buildup of supply coming into the port of Felixstowe, as well as Southampton. And we had um, delays that were beginning to happen at the end of 2020. And then early, of course, early in 2021 and 2020 as well, we had the impact of the coronavirus came in and very quickly 
we had these companies were, were drawing down on that stock that they had built up as a result of Brexit. And that actually was a good thing in a lot of respects because companies did have stock on hand, they were able to respond to the immediate impact of COVID. When COVID um, towards, you know, the, the end of last year in 2020, as the effects of COVID began to become known, we began to understand the situation and the economy began to open up towards the end of last year, companies then realized, well, we quickly have to begin to get more stock back into the UK, back into our stores. And there was also, at the same time, there was a huge influx of, of demand. So you had a lot of companies beginning to then put in demand orders for their suppliers. Suppliers began to stock up and, and began to ship products into the UK. Unfortunately, what happened at the same time is a lot of ocean freight carriers had uh, stopped running a lot of their vessels. So the vessels were put on layby as a result of COVID because they thought the demand was dropping. Unfortunately, it can take months to bring those vessels back on. And we also had a situation where a lot of the containers that were coming into the UK were basically dropped and they weren't returned back to the Far East. You had containers going to different markets and not being returned as empties back to the Far East as well. So you had containers in the wrong place. So you basically had this perfect storm of, you know, the, the build up to Brexit. You had the impact of COVID. So those both, both impacted on supply. And then you had this big demand spike happening at the same time. And, and that had this sort of this perfect storm effect on supply chains where we were, you know, we were trying to get goods into the UK, huge volumes of goods into the UK, and we couldn't get them through the ports. We didn't have the, the container facilities to offload them. And in particular, we didn't have the, the truck drivers to bring the containers inland. And what we're seeing this year as, you know, as a result of, you know, we, having left the EU and having visa restrictions on truck drivers you're having this situation now where we're still struggling to get freight and, and containers out of the ports and into the UK stores. Thanks, Sam. That's a very comprehensive sort of review of the situation. Peter Holmes, do you think that we should have seen this coming? Do you think that, you know, with the global economy slumping with the pandemic last year, should we not have anticipated perhaps better the sort of bounce back in consumer demand that we have seen? Well, I think the first thing to say is that supply chain system has not done too badly. I mean, I do recall a very interesting, first of all, an exchange in Parliament, at one of the parliamentary committees, and then a podcast that Sam did with my old student, Richard Torbett of the um, UK Pharmaceutical Association. And Richard was arguing very strongly that given the extraordinary stresses that in particular the pharmaceutical industry has been under, we've actually done as well as could be expected. There have been some extraordinary shocks. And he argued that the flexibility in the supply chain arrangements had delivered. On the other hand, I think there are things which we could have done better. I mean, Sam is the real expert on this. But two things occur to me. The first is that supply chain management over the last years has focused on kind of just-in-time systems, keeping stocks very low. And someone I know who works for a big supermarket has told me often that there are very few storage facilities available that aren't being used. So you, you can't easily, I mean, and Harry, I'm sure, will say more about this, but I, I've been told that it's very difficult to actually bring in extra storage capacity. And I think that the question arises, I don't know whether the answer is clear one way or the other, is there a market failure in this, in the sense that the market does work quite well, people at one level, people do anticipate the possibility that they may run out of things and that uh, there may be problems. But 
shortages are to some extent an externality effect. That's to say, everybody is assuming that someone else is going to have a bit of spare capacity. And without some sort of coordination, we all may assume that someone else can bail us out. Now, whether there is a solution to that, I don't know. Well, there's some very interesting points that we could unpick there. Well, let's ask Harry Holmes, how is the UK food retail chain coping with the current pressures? And and without getting too tabloidy about this, will we see empty shelves in the supermarkets in the the run-up to Christmas? I think on the question of how it's coping, it it depends what your measure is, really. As I say, the, the tabloids go on turkey shortages, Christmas ruined, and so on, which if your judge of Christmas being ruined is a lack of turkey, then... Yes, perhaps, but maybe you need to reevaluate your your priority slightly. There will be some shortages at Christmas. That does not mean that, that people will be going hungry. It simply means that, that supermarkets and the whole supply chain has had to make decisions to try and manage the current circumstances as they are. So rather than having five types of chutney on a shelf, you only get two. There may not be product for the first time you go into the shop, but if you go in the following week, then it will be there again. Supermarkets in this, which is where the majority of us will buy our, our Christmas goods from, are in the best position. They they have the most money to spend on supplies. They have kind of hoarded up a lot of the drivers because they're able to pay the most. And so that has had knock-on consequences elsewhere, but it does mean that their supply chain is one of the best protected. To Peter's point about warehouses, warehouses are now getting increasingly full. So you have sort of frozen warehouses at 95% capacity a lot of the time, which means that there isn't any more storage to come in and give that sort of security to, to what is a, a just-in-time, very lean and efficient supply chain. Really. Sam, I'm interested to sort of open this up and look at things in a slightly broader sort of global context. Just how difficult is it to transport stuff around the world at present? I mean, we hear about very high rental prices for containers, log jams with shipping businesses and so on. How bad is the problem? And is there any end in sight in the short term or the foreseeable term for the problems that we're currently seeing? Yeah, I, I would say the situation is definitely difficult, um, in particular in air freight and container shipping. So as a result of COVID-19, flights being grounded, passengers no longer flying, we didn't have cargo traveling in the belly of aircraft, in passenger aircraft. We have had commercial air freighters have sort of stepped into the void. We've been using a lot more commercial air freight to move cargo. So that has sort of began to fill that void. However, the prices have gone up in terms of air freight. So that has began to to rebound. The biggest issue that we're seeing at the moment is primarily around ocean freight shipping. Uh, Like I said before, you had the the containers in the wrong part of the the world. Um, The containers are not being picked up and dropped back to the ports. You also had the big container lines taking some of their vessels offline and now they're scrambling to bring them back. As a result, we have seen shipping costs, especially from Asia into the UK and Asia into the West Coast to the US, go up anywhere between five to 10 times. So it's been an absolute huge jump in container shipping costs. 
And, and that has made some companies begin to scramble around looking for space on container vessels. There are stories in the media where some of the, the large multinationals, such as Walmart and Ikea, have been chartering their own smaller vessels to bring in containers in order to fill in that gap. I would argue, though, so probably the biggest and, and the, the biggest issue that we're seeing is not strictly in container shipping. It's actually getting the, the containers off of the ships and onto the back of lorries and then bringing those goods inland. So it's actually, it's the the truck drivers, the lorry drivers is where we're seeing the biggest deficit in the supply chain at the moment is, is having that labor availability to, to actually bring the containers inland and then get them offloaded and then bring the containers back to the ports and, and onto the shipping vessels. So that is one of the, the main areas and that's happening in the West Coast of the US. It's also been happening in the UK as well. We've seen that with the lorry drivers coming from the ports as well as coming through the Dover Calais crossing, which brings in about 50% of our overall freight is coming through road from Europe. So that has been one of the biggest difficulties that we've seen. I would just like to throw in something which we mentioned in passing, but perhaps uh, I could have said more about. Uh, uh, that's the Brexit point. I mean, Sam highlighted the issue of the shortage of truck drivers. Now, how far that is a consequence of the um, ending of free movement and how far it could be dealt with by giving more licenses. I'd really like to hear Harry's uh, view. And there's a very technical point, which Harry and I had a, a brief conversation about some time ago, cabotage, the ability of trucks delivering into one country to then go on to make other deliveries internally before they return home. How far has the ending of cabotage and the Brexit rules been a problem? But I think to return to the question you asked earlier, Chris, about how easily we should have anticipated these things, I think the fundamental problem about Brexit was that people just didn't know what was going to happen. The uh, trade and cooperation agreement was signed you know, the day before Christmas 2020. It, it, people just did not have the chance to plan properly. And I think we should really bear in mind that there are two separate issues here. One is how far these, uh, you know, the way Brexit was done necessarily caused problems which we can't get away from. And on the other hand, how far was the fact that these rules were not announced till the very last minute a major issue? And of course, we still have things which haven't been sorted out. We don't know exactly what's going to happen at the ports when the UK introduces full customs control sometime next year. We don't know what's going to happen on the UKCA, the uh, conformity assessment marks. A whole load of things are going to need to be sorted and people may not be ready for them. So we may have a further round of entirely unnecessary constraints in the supply system. We'll come back to the Brexit technicalities in a moment. But Harry, if I can pick up with you on this question of have we sabotaged cabotage? To what extent are the technicalities around road haulage making things difficult for supermarkets and the food chain at the moment? So I think cabotage is a really good example of where the government and the industry have tried to resolve some of these issues. So cabotage is the idea that post-Brexit, a lorry driver coming into the UK could only stay on a short-term basis. Now the government has temporarily extended it so they can stay for up to 14 days. The government did that along with a lot of these other short-term plans when on cabotage, at least, no one in the industry really wants it. A lot of the industry are actually quite angry about it because what the government has done is say, 
we're not going to support British drivers per se, but French drivers can come in and do some of that work, which the industry has neither asked for. Also seems contrary to the government's philosophy in terms of you know, backing British and so on. But then you have the other government policies that they brought in in terms of uh, extending driver hours, more driver testing, short-term visas. They all fall into the category of quite short-termers. They all have they're due to end before Christmas or soon after, and they don't actually give any resolution to these longer-term structural issues of there simply not being enough drivers. We might get through Christmas, perhaps. That is debatable in itself, but what do we do after that point? And on that, neither the government nor the industry actually really has an answer yet as to what is the long-term solution to this problem. Yeah, and it's not just drivers, is it? It's vets, it's abattoir workers, a lot of people in the food chain. There's lots of areas in the food chain where we're seeing shortages of personnel. Do you think we need to reclassify what is an essential worker? Is that an area where the government is kind of has perhaps a bit of a blind spot? Harry, I wonder what you think about that. I think the government has so far introduced tactics to try and manage it rather than having a strategy. And I think a strategy could consist of what is an essential worker. But I think as long as there is this narrative of a flat out denial that migration and foreign workers play a role in the food supply chain, then the food industry is going to keep banging its head against the wall and we're not going to get anywhere. There is a broader point about the way food industry jobs are seen, I think, in that many of them are seen as low-skilled, low-wage, maybe part-time, rightly or wrongly, often that is very much not the case. And therefore, they don't attract the British workers that they might. In the haulage industry, for example, there are hundreds of thousands of British qualified HGV drivers who are opting not to drive. That needs to be looked at as, why is that happening? What can we do to draw them back into the industry? alongside what is this extra bit that we might then need to fill with foreign European workers, what do we want to classify as as essential. But as long as there is that lack of strategy, then everyone, industry, government, anyone else, is sort of firing around into the dark in terms of what is actually going to work. Peter, you, you mentioned earlier about the fact that the UK has delayed implementation of full border checks, customs checks, food safety checks, etc., coming in from the EU until July 2022 in some cases. Under the circumstances, that's sounding a bit like a pretty wise move at the moment. It's pragmatic, but nobody knows exactly how they're going to do it. Will it be extended beyond that date? How extensively will they relax the testing certification rules? I mean, I think, as Harry says, they are reacting to events in a way which doesn't necessarily make matters worse, but it's short-term solutions. I think that they're being pragmatic. They're not, as Harry says, they're not strategically looking forward to seeing how regulations can smooth the flow of trade. Sam, it's one of the cliches in the trading community that the best cure for high prices is high prices. In other words, if you've got a a bit of a shortage, then the price goes up, people produce more, people consume less, and equilibrium is thereby restored. So I'm wondering whether the only realistic way to resolve the supply chain problems that we're seeing, not just in the UK, but globally, is to kind of choke back demand to some extent and for people to just accept that they won't have 
access to things in the way that they've been used to. Are we going to have to sort of shift the paradigm a little bit in order to resolve these questions? No, I don't necessarily agree with that, um, Chris. I think high prices bring inflation. Our economy is is driven by GDP growth, which is also driven by trade. So high prices will certainly you know dampen down demand, but I think people do want and need the goods that they're purchasing. I think that what we're seeing at the moment is a fundamental issue with supply chain designs. The way that supply chains have grown over the past 30 or 40 years has primarily been around pursuit for low-cost labor. Companies have gone to low-wage economies such as China, Vietnam, Malaysia. They set up manufacturing facilities there to take advantage of low-cost labor, as well as lax uh, regulatory regimes in some of these countries. And they've manufactured in those places, they found suppliers in those locations, and the supply chains have just began to sprawl and grow in complexity where we have, you know, we have primary tier suppliers, so first tier suppliers, second tier, third tier, fourth tier suppliers. We have a lot of multinational organizations with thousands, tens of thousands of suppliers in their supply chain. So we have this incredible amount of complexity in our global supply chains. And what I think is going to be happening over the next year or so, and the transition is already underway, is, you know, initially there was this knee-jerk reaction is we need to bring everything back to the UK. We need to reshore. We need to bring everything back here and make everything in the UK. That has its own issues. Obviously, raw materials, we, we for all of our products, all of the raw materials that we need are not in the UK. We have to bring raw materials in from overseas. What we can, though, begin to look at doing is having more nearshoring supply chain designs, regionalized supply chain designs, where you have, you know, you have key suppliers as well as manufacturing facilities located closer to major centers of demand. And you can have, for a multinational organization, you can have five or six sort of locations around the world where you're you're manufacturing products that are closer to Europe, to the US, and to Asia, and you have the ability to move your production volumes between those facilities. And and this idea of nearshoring coupled with production volume swapping will give you a lot more flexibility in your supply chain. So if there is a disruption, so for example, there's a shutdown of a port in China, like we're seeing on a regular basis at the moment, companies have that flexibility in their supply chain to move production volumes around. And what we can no longer do is is rely on these low-cost, globe-spanning supply chains because there's so many points of failure in those types of supply chains. Every sort of border that you have to cross, every port that you have to come through is a potential point of failure. And the more global and the more disperse your supply chain is the more complex your supply chain is the more points of failure that you have so i think that what's going on at the moment and covid has really forced this as well as brexit and the us china trade war has really forced companies to rethink the fundamental designs of their supply chain where we're designing supply chains for responsiveness to spikes in demand as well as these big abrupt stoppages in supply and that is really what we have to begin to fundamentally rethink how our supply chains are designed and can the private sector do that itself or do you think that governments need to be more involved with strategically planning supply chains and treating it as peter sort of mentioned earlier on treating it more as a sort of a, a public good a public asset 
Yeah, okay. I think there's two answers to that. So yes, I think this will be led by the private sector, but it needs to be supported by government. And I think the government does have some policy levers that they can pull in order to support businesses. And one of those is looking at duties and taxes that are paid on intermediary goods. So for example, if companies are looking at moving production volumes between facilities, they have work in progress inventory that is, is being transformed and they need to swap it because of a disruption in the supply chain to look at reducing duties and taxes on those types of movements. The other thing that the UK government can also do is invest heavily in what's called surge capacity. So surge capacity is the idea where we have excess volume in the UK for key critical goods that the government actually reserves. So you have a production facility for paracetamol, for example. The government could actually reserve maybe 10% of that production line. And if there is another variant of COVID that comes around the world and, and begins to stop production, then the, the private company can then switch on that production volume and ramp up their supply. So you can have the government actually reserving the surge capacity. You can also have a better stockpile. We, we found at the onset of COVID that our stockpile of PPE, as well as other critical items such as ventilators, was basically non-existent. And we very, very quickly ran out of those products. So you can have investments in, in stockpiles, as well as in surge capacity to make the UK more responsive for when these big disruptions happen. I think there's a really important point about prices, that prices are going up now. Everywhere you look, there are commodity prices going up, oil prices are going up, labor prices are going up, and we're starting to see it on the food shelf. And as Sam says, yeah, a lot of these labor issues have been building for years. I think in 2016, you had MPs warning that, that there weren't enough drivers and then they needed to be resolved. And you speak to anyone in the haulage industry and you ask, well, why didn't you do it for the last five years? And they say, well, our main customers are, are supermarkets. Supermarkets want cheap prices for their customers. They're not giving us any more money. What are we supposed to do without that investment? So if we want to put up wages and resolve this labor crisis, then it inevitably means prices are going to go up. And it means that across for, for commodities as well. And again, it comes back to that idea of strategy. If prices are going to go up because we want to address these labor shortages, we have millions of people in poverty in this country struggling to buy sufficient nutritious food as it is. If that's what the government wants, then there also need to be the corresponding policies in place to ensure everyone has access to those rising prices. And that balance, again, that, that strategy for how we deal with that still isn't there. This brings me to a question which I wanted to ask each of you just to wrap up and you, know, you might want to sort of bring some concluding thoughts to this. In terms of trade policy, which is what we're primarily focused on here at Trade Bites, what are the policy steps, I guess not just trade policy in this context, the policy steps that you would most like to see the British government take to address the supply chain issues that we currently face? We touched on this a little bit already, but Peter, let me start with you. What's your view on this? Thank you for uh, that easy question. Of course, I don't know the answer. I think the only thing that comes to my mind, obviously, 
is that the government must look and see what regulations and border frictions it's introducing that make these problems harder to deal with. These completely unnecessary certification requirements are on the UKCA end. The question of what real costs to the British economy are of alignment on regulations that would simplify the inspection processes and so on. I mean, I think it has to be in that area. I mean, I, you know, the others know much more about the details of the institutional arrangements that are, are necessary. But I would actually just like to make one small observation on the role of pricing and inflation, because the governor of the Bank of England made a very good point the other day when he said the um, higher interest rates wouldn't make more lorry drivers available. And I think the one thing which the government should not do is confuse the macro and the micro. Certain scarcities are arising, prices are going up, and measures to deal with those should be directed at those issues. If there are extra frictions in the world, problems because of shortages, because it's actually more expensive to move goods around the world, that's not actually inflation as such. That's a rise in prices relative to wages. It could set off an inflationary spiral, but people are actually poorer And that's not quite the same thing as inflation. And we need to think either how to solve those problems or to, as Harry was suggesting, compensate the people who are most directly affected. These shortages are not quite the same sort of thing as inflation. And the last thing we want to do is to say the way to get rid of these problems is to damp down overall aggregate demand in the economy. Harry, if you were in charge, what would be your priority actions? I think it would be that point that I've mentioned, a a strategy rather than than tactics, a genuine analysis of what kind of workforce, what kind of jobs do we want in the UK? Do we want to produce food in the UK? Do we want to manufacture it? Do we want a car industry? So on. How many jobs is that? How many British people will do those jobs? What's the shortfall? Where do we then go to top up that number? An honest conversation about that, about migration, would be my priority. Sam, perhaps a final word from you. Yeah, I would argue that, you know, the voice of business has been largely ignored all through the Brexit period. And I think the government, um, Bayes, the Department of International Trade, needs to work much closer with business on now resolving this issue that we have with Brexit. And let's be frank, you know, there's driver shortages in the US, there's driver shortages in Europe, and there's there's significant driver shortages in the UK as a result of the visa restrictions that have been put on to lorry drivers. Lorry drivers are considered as low-skilled labor, which I do not agree with. I mean, I would not be able to drive a lorry around the A roads of London. I think it is an incredibly skilled job, and I think they should be treated as such. I think we have to improve the working conditions for these drivers. I think we have to improve the pay for these drivers, and I think we have to treat them as you know as a highly skilled labor pool, and and also open up the visa restrictions so we're encouraging more European drivers to come here and making them feel welcome. So those European drivers are able to come and do cabotage, do the pickups and the drop-offs in the UK without having those time restrictions on them. And and then we are actually encouraging this movement of lorry drivers between the EU and the UK because it's an essential service. We've seen what happens when we don't have these drivers, that they we're, we're running out of stock on, on store shelves. And we need these people to keep the economy running. And I think they should be treated as such. 
Well, thank you very much for wrapping that up for us. It's been a very interesting discussion of the multifaceted questions surrounding this question of supply chain and the problems around it. So there we have to leave it for Trade Bites today. I'd like to say a big thank you to my guests today, to Sam Roscoe, to Peter Holmes, and to Harry Holmes. And thank you very much to all of you for joining. And thanks to all of you for listening. Join us again next time for the next episode of Trade Bites. Please subscribe to our Trade Bites podcast series brought to you by the UK Trade Policy Observatory with funding from the Economic and Social Research Council.